Today is the beginning of Advent. I think I was talking with Clarissa, and we're like, how did this happen? How is it already Advent? It feels like fall just completely flew. It's the season of the Christian calendar where we practice on waiting for God to show up. So the word Advent is just a Latin word that means coming or visitation. And it's as the northern hemisphere starts to head toward winter solstice on December 21st, as the world literally gets darker every day, Advent invites us to take this collective journey into a metaphorical darkness alongside that. And so we'll sit in that space for the next few weeks as we wait for the coming light, the birth of Jesus, the hope that we have for God's continued presence in our lives. I see I'm holding a, a bag here. Some of you guys seen those luminary bags that people sometimes put outside their homes with candles in them during this month. Um, this little paper bag. For the next few Sundays, some of the kids in Sunday school, I believe, might be decorating some of these. And we also want to invite anybody who would like to, including if kids want to take some home, um, or any adults would like to take some home and decorate them. We have bags on the back table, and I believe there's some instructions by them as well. Decorate them however you want. Cut them up, paint them, just write a word that you would like or that's meaningful to you. Do one in honor of somebody that you love. That would be great. Even if you're not going to be here at the Christmas Eve service, but you would like to have a bag be part of that, I just invite you to bring it back either next week or the following Sunday, and we'll make sure that we put a little tea light candle in it, battery powered, so we don't, you know, burn the place down. Um, and I think it's going to look really cool. This was actually Molly's idea. I thought it was a really good one. She's like, then on Christmas Eve, you know, when we do Silent Night by Candlelight, we're going to have all of these lit up, and it should be really dark in here by 6.30, 7 o'clock. And so I think it'll look pretty spectacular. So I'd say the more luminaries you would like to make, the better. All right. So this morning, I want us to open Advent by looking at a story that is found in Luke chapter 2. And this is a story that is about two people who spent their lives waiting on God. This is Simeon and Anna. And so the story of Simeon and Anna takes place actually after Jesus has been born. He's probably about six weeks old. Right? According to the Jewish law, observant mothers would need to go to the temple in Jerusalem to be purified about 40 days after giving birth and then to dedicate the new baby. So Mary and Joseph packed up little Jesus. I was like, I don't, I don't know what the first century Judea equivalent of a pack and play is. Um, <laughs> probably didn't have a minivan. But they pack up Jesus and they traveled south to Jerusalem. Part of that purification process involved making a sacrifice, generally a lamb. But for families with significant financial need, a pair of doves was appropriate. And so we're told that Mary and Joseph had doves. And when they went into the temple to dedicate their newborn son, this is what took place. And I'm gonna, this is longer than I usually read in one block, but I think it's easier to just read the story right from Luke. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took that child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I've seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. 
if you guys pray the hours at all, you know, I've talked about praying the divine hours, you probably know this because it's like a rote ending for much of it. All right, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but she stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along, just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So Simeon and Anna, they only appear in these few paragraphs here at the end of the nativity narrative. So really, we're only viewing them through this one point near the end of their lives. But what I found thought-provoking when I read this story again last week was that this one point in time was really about all that they had been doing long before they encountered this young family in the temple. Right? These folks have been living into a story of hope that's at the heart of the Christmas narrative. Right? That before an angel went to Zechariah or to Mary to announce that they would bring forth miraculous children, Simeon and Anna had already been preparing for God to show up. Before a child leapt in Elizabeth's womb, before Joseph said yes to Mary's pregnancy, Anna and Simeon were actively waiting. Before there were shepherds or magi or radiant stars on the scenes, these elders of the faith had been watching with anticipation. Their lives had been marked by decades of preparation for this moment. They'd been living into the spirit of Advent. And because of that, when their moment to encounter the change that came with the coming of Jesus, they were prepared to know what they were looking at when they saw it. Now, presumably, there were lots of people in the temple in Jerusalem that day. Right? So there were multiple courtyards in that space. There were inside courtyards, outside courtyards, bustling with people because it was one of the centers of community life in Jerusalem. That area is still bustling and part of the community life. You've got the Western Wall and the courtyard around there. You've got Al-Aqsa Mosque and the courtyard around there. People are constantly hanging around on acres of space. But the day that Mary and Joseph came to dedicate Jesus, only two of the people in that temple space, in that big complex, found this young, poor family from up north in the Galilee, up in the middle of nowhere, remarkable. So what made Simeon and Anna able to discern that? Well, I think the story suggests a couple of things. First, they knew their history, and they knew their place in it. Right? They, I think they knew the story that they were part of, Right, so Luke tells us that Simeon was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. I don't think this was like some kind of just like superhero fantasy that Simeon had been sort of just nursing on his own as a reaction to the hard times around him. Right, it's not like he looked around and was like, man, you know, Jerusalem is in trouble. These Roman soldiers are awful. We've got this tyrant, Herod, who's violent and paranoid. If only we had like a Superman who could like come and take them out. Now, the hope of the Messiah wasn't like this sort of time-constricted space. It was a time-honored hope that God would come and rescue God's people. The word Messiah translated into Greek is the Christ, and it just meant God's anointed one. And the idea was that God 
um, that this would take place, the arrival of the Messiah and the rescue of God's people would take place with the arrival of a deliverer called the Messiah. And this was the hope that was kept alive for hundreds of years. And some people thought the Messiah would be a king. They thought that the Messiah would come as like a literal ruler who would come and overthrow the Roman Empire. Some people thought the Messiah would be a priest and would come and would be maybe a high priest in the temple. Some people thought there would be multiple messiahs. Maybe there would be a king and there would be a priest. But this hope for an anointed one who would rescue people from oppression was rooted in tradition and sacred story. It was rooted in the faith of their ancestors, in the words that Israel's prophets had been speaking from centuries before. And so Simeon knew this story. In the Eastern Orthodox tradition, it's said that Simeon was maybe a translator, that he was one of the people who was tasked with translating the biblical texts from the Hebrew to the Greek. And it was thought that through the scribal work that he became deeply convicted about the deliverance of Israel through the Messiah. Maybe. A more recent take on Simeon comes from Dr. Mitzi Smith. She's a womanist scholar at Columbia Theological Seminary. And so last April, some of you were here, I preached about some of Dr. Smith's work where I think she made a really compelling argument that Jesus's mother Mary may have been an enslaved woman. Right? Mary referred to herself as a slave twice. We know that up to a third of Jewish population of Galilee was enslaved at that time. And so if Mary was enslaved, it's also a very strong possibility that Jesus was born into slavery. And then perhaps set free, or manumitted would be the word there, set free at the age of 30, which was pretty common. So that, that makes some sense of some things in his life, but it's not something that we could know for sure. It's just in the realm of possibility. But with her reading, then Dr. Smith points out that there's another figure in the birth stories of Jesus who is referred to as a slave, doulos in Greek, and that's Simeon. So she writes this, I have this on your, on your sheet. She said, Simeon recognizes Jesus as the Messiah and while holding the baby announces, Master, you are now releasing your slave according to your word in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. That is her translation. She says, this story may be a manumission pronouncement and a prologue to Jesus's public abolitionist ministry under the anointing of the Spirit. Right, so in her reading, Simeon, a slave, saw Mary and her son, perhaps also slaves, came over, looked at the child, moved by the spirit, said, you know, I can now die because I've seen the one who's gonna set the captives free. And I think it adds a little layer of texture to the story. I think there's a recognition here, potentially of class and status. You know, it's kind of like, I see you. I was like, oh, I know, it's like Gadar. Oh, I see you. You know, you kind of know. You're like, oh, okay, I see you. And a layer of profound hope here that is not theoretical or abstract. Right? It's like, look, we know the pain of captivity. Please, God, let this Messiah be an answer. And then the scripture that Jesus read out to start his adult ministry was from the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners freed. You know, Isaiah had a lot to say about a figure who was coming to change the story and bring hope to humankind. Isaiah 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 42, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. And he will not shout or cry out or raise his voices in the street or his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. And so these are only a couple of the many passages that speak to the hope that even though times are gloomy, even though oppression is potent and maybe feels overwhelming, that Israel would be comforted and that Israel would be redeemed. And the initiation of that comfort and redemption would come with God's anointed one, a Messiah. And many people could only imagine that this Messiah would be a person of power, right? A ruler, a king, a priest. But Simeon and Anna saw this vulnerable baby a person potentially born into slavery, the son of an enslaved woman. And they saw him and thought, oh, this is someone who wouldn't even bruise a reed. And maybe the Messiah might surprise us in how they might set us free. Can we recognize what the Messiah might look like? It isn't just the story that they're holding on to, because knowing just the story isn't enough. They also, I think, appreciated the role that they were playing in their time. I think they understood their place and they understood their legacy in that larger story. You know, the author of Isaiah didn't just tell Israel that God would do this and that they could just sort of chill out until it happened for centuries, right? I'm gonna send somebody, so just, you know, hang out. No, centuries before Simeon and Anna were born, the prophets named that the divine was calling people to stand watch for the movement of God that was to come. People were expected to be preparing. This is Isaiah 62. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work. Go out through the gates. Prepare the highway for my people to return. Smooth out the road. Pull out the boulders. Raise a flag for all the nations to see. The Lord has sent this message to every land. Tell the people of Israel, look, your Savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him when he comes. All right, so the prophets whose words were recorded by the Hebrew people were commissioning all people to come and follow in their footsteps. They were commissioning them to look beyond the present circumstances, which looked dire, and to look below the surface to the greater things that were being done in their time. Something Susan King likes to say is, can we look around and see what's breaking down to see what can break in? right? What's breaking down so that something else can break in? Do we have eyes to see that? that? Those are Advent eyes. So as earthly rulers came and went, as foreign powers made their wars and conquered lands, as religious leaders fought amongst themselves about whose theology was right and whose was wrong, as all of that was taking place, God was still inviting people to discern something that's more vital than any of those things. The coming of a breakthrough, that could turn all of those systems and structures upside down if we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what was happening. So Simeon and Anna were standing in the tradition of the watchmen. They understood not just the story, but they knew their place in that story. And they were among the generations of unnamed people of faith who held on to the words of the prophets in the centuries of darkness and hardship between Isaiah's writing and Jesus's birth. 
And when many of their fellow travelers had fallen into cynicism and apathy and fatalism, they continued to watch and to pray and to prepare and to hope. And they understood that that hope was their legacy. Right? To participate in the work that Jesus did 30 years later was not their role. Theirs was not the generation called to go make fishers of men or to hand out bread as Jesus was passing it out to the multitudes. That was the work for their grandchildren. But they had a vital role of their own, and that was to watch and to wait and to prepare, to cry out as watchmen on a tower to other people when they could see it looked like something big was coming, something was breaking through, something new. I don't know if you've ever watched Lord of the Rings, probably many of you have, but it reminds me of that scene in the mountains, right, where all the big fires are being lit. And you just think, oh, yeah, there's people who probably sat there for years, you know, like, you know, I don't know, checked out playing games on their phone or whatever, but they had to have their eyes up because if they weren't watching, they would miss it when it came, right? It's like, okay, everybody, it's time to act. We see God's doing something. And so during Advent, we are invited to imitate Simeon and Anna, to stand watch, to hold on to hope, even when it seems um, like hope is not even in the mix, to hold the hope that God is on the way. And it might not be our place to see the fullness of God's kingdom come, but we can practice a faith that includes hope and peace and joy and love, our Advent candles. We practice a faith that is good news for the poor, that's comforting to the brokenhearted, that sets the oppressed free, and then we pass that faith on to the coming generations like a torch, trusting that God will move in ways that we might not yet see or understand. That is the hope of Advent. All right, with that, we usually take a little time for prayer or meditation. People make noise, a little noise is fine. But I'm just going to invite us to spend a minute or two to just meditate on, like, what do you hope for? What do you even feel safe enough to ask God to hope for? And we'll just sit in that space and let the Spirit sort of ruminate in this place.
Lord, it may not be our lot to see all the darkness dissipate. There are hard things that go on in our lives, personally, professionally, with friends, with family, where we sometimes just are sitting in the darkness, waiting and hoping. And I ask that we can just keep watch for where you are at work and that we would experience you as Emmanuel, as God with us, as a comfort in the midst of that, as we hold our watch waiting for you. In your name we pray, amen.